Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. All right, everyone. Uh, whenever Jasmine and I are in a dinner rut, which is uh, a lot more often than you might think, uh, you, know, uh, you know, sometimes you just don't have time to run to the grocery store. We love turning to Green Chef. Uh, it's an organic meal kit that gives you the convenience of home cooking combined with fine dining flavor. And Jasmine, this is true. Like we've been doing a lot of the, the Green Chef stuff and it's, uh, it's been oddly satisfying and yeah. of course delicious. Yeah, they're pretty fun. It's kind of like uh, being on your own reality cooking show kind it, of thing. That's a choose your own if you, adventure. If you, if you pretend. I mean, you know, but you got like a little basket and everything already there for you. They're easy to read and the kids can do it because a lot of the heavy knife work at least is already done. Uh, but listen, even if people are paleo, which there are, right? Jasmine? Yeah, lots. Well, guess what? You're in luck because they have seven meal plans to choose from with new recipes each and every week. Uh, you can't get bored when you're cooking through Green Chef. I know that we have it. For convenient and organic meal kits delivered right to your door, go to greenchef.us slash Richard and you'll get $50 off your first box. That's greenchef.us slash Richard for $50 off. That's a big discount. I feel like I'm doing the world some good. Green Chef. Podcast One presents Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze, an entertaining behind-the-scenes look at the world of food, where you'll hear from anyone and everyone from the culinary industry, including restaurateurs, TV hosts, celebrity chefs, producers of your favorite cooking shows, and many more. Now, here's your host, Richard Blaze. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Starving for Attention uh, podcast. I'm Richard Blaze. I'm joined by Jasmine Blaze. Hey. And we're speaking to you from San Diego, California. Uh, Before we even do this interview with Chef David Burke. Uh, David Burke has really just been sort of uh, a maestro, if you will. He's a king. He's an old dog, too. I don't mean that in a a bad way. No, he's like like, on the block for a while. He's king status. So like as I was coming up as a young cook, um, he was one of those people, Charlie Trotter. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Coons. You know uh, Charlie Palmer, mm-hmm. you know, David Burke, Ray Coons. Wow, that was a nice one. You threw yeah. in the Ray Coons right yeah. there. Uh, you know, uh, uh, David Boulay. These were the chefs. Michelle Bra. Maybe even. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you lived in France, if perhaps. Like but as an American cook, David Burke was sure. at the top. He still is. Uh, and really, I, I don't think enough young cooks probably know enough about David Burke. But, yeah. like, he's the first guy who was you know, like doing presentations in art culinaire that would like blow your mind that were like Mm. scenes from like, uh, probably not a lot of young cooks know what art culinaire is, Well, it's still out. So hopefully they do, but it's, it's a quarterly, uh, sort of industry magazine that comes out and like art culinaire really features a couple of chefs in each episode and like chefs really, especially back in like the mid nineties, early two thousands. This is like to get the you know the honor of being an art culinary. Would you'd have to throw down like epic presentations and amazing dishes. And David Burke was one of these guys who would like you know build a park bench and put a squab you know <laughs> in front of the park bench, uh, you know eating breadcrumbs off the soil and set up like a scene from Central Park. That's by the way a fictitious example of something that David Burke would do. Um, but he was also one of these. He's got such a great sense of like brand. You know, to me, he's truly one of the first chefs who really, like, developed his brand through specific, like, ingredients. Like, 
pastrami okay. salmon, right? Hmm. We started okay. taking like, oh, I'm a New Yorker, uh, this pastrami, no one's doing with salmon, I'm going to cure salmon with pastrami. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, one of his restaurants now have a bacon tower. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I mean, he was known for this dish that I still emulate to this day, you know, a swordfish chop, you mm, know, where right, he would yeah. cut the collar off of swordfish and then they would actually brand like the number of each chop at um, you know Park Avenue Cafe yeah, or River cool. Cafe or wherever that that sort of that dish that started, started yeah. uh, but truly an old dog like you said and like I sort of owe a chef like David Burke you know uh, a, a lot of um, you know to me I, I sort of like bow bow to the altar of those types of chefs because they influenced me so much um, as a young cook so this episode just kind of amazing for me to be a fanboy uh, of course uh, Chef Burke's been wrapped up in a little bit of controversy. Uh, somewhat recently with the whole yeah, that's right. uh, his his Washington D.C. project that was he he, he moved in on the one that um, Jose it was Jose Andres Andres left yeah right and uh, the and Trump Tower one or Trump, Trump Trump Hotel Trump Hotel right? in Washington D.C. and yeah. Jose uh, left because of Trump's comments about immigrants, immigrants and yeah, specifically right, Mexican immigrants, I believe. Yep. Uh, and then uh, David Burks or his group or something, yeah, you know, jumped into the process. Yeah. Here's what I have to say about all that. You, I know, Jasmine, have different thoughts on yeah. it. Politics aside, because we're in agreement on all of that sort of stuff. Sure. Um, you know, you know, he's a restaurateur. You know, I don't know the inner workings of what that deal was like. Sure. I think sometimes these things can, um, you know. They can get overblown. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> no comment from Jasmine yeah, Blaze. That might be a no comment. Um, you know, again, politics aside, uh, it's a restaurant opportunity, and you know, David Burke yeah. took it, and you yeah. know, he certainly didn't have to, but he hasn't shot away. Um, no, you know, no. from talking about <laughs> it, um, and has actually, uh, we get in, we're going to get into it in the podcast. I'm going to ask him, but um, he denies that uh, President Trump is a well-done steak and ketchup guy. He actually doesn't deny the well-done steak part. Yeah, he denies the ketchup part, but right? the ketchup part. He's, he's, he, yeah, I, I read where he, the ketchup is probably for fries. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which makes sense. Sure does. Which yeah. makes sense. Uh, but the, he's still eating well-done steak. That's, that's yeah. an issue. Probably. I think there's plenty of other. Uh, bones to pick with Trump than uh, his ketchup. So. I think there are. Yeah. I think there are. Uh, but again, you know, uh, what an honor to be able to talk to David Burke again, coming up in this industry, one of my idols. I never told you this, Jasmine, actually. When I was uh, in culinary school seeking an uh, internship, right? So when you're halfway through culinary school, you go on externship. And of course, I was filing away to all the best chefs. And it was Charlie Trotter and Eric Repair at Le Bernardin. And uh, it was uh, David Burke at Park Avenue Cafe and Thomas Keller at the French Laundry where yeah. I ended up going. Cool. Uh, I remember one time coming back to my dorm room and uh, I was like answering my phone. This is actually landlines. That's yeah. how old I am. Right. And I was like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, uh, hi. He's like, this is David Burke. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I was, I'm in my dorm room at culinary school. Yeah. Just like, I can't even talk because like I'm on the phone with, you know, someone's yeah. book who's on my nightstand basically. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, the inventor of pastrami salmon and swordfish right. chops. And I remember it was interesting because, you know, at that point I'm, I'm in culinary school and everything's very formal. Yeah. But he was like, um, I got tickets to the Red Sox Yankee game this weekend. I yeah. don't know if you're, if you're coming down to the city, if you want to, if you want to go to the game. And I was just like blown away. First of all, I'm a sports fan. But right. I was like, this is... Did, uh, wait, did you take the ticket? I didn't take the ticket. I don't know what happened. Or maybe he was going to the game or something like was that. Was he but asking you out? 
Not in a romantic way, right. I, don't, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> we'll see after the interview's yeah. over. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, I, it was kind of an amazing moment. I never shared that with you. I know. Yeah, that's new. Um, so we'll see where this goes. Uh, again, pre-interview, David Burke. Coming up. David Burke. Coming up. Yep, how are we guys? Ready, man. We're ready to go. We uh, are, are up and running and just... Uh, We're going to bring up a couple snacks, so oh, okay. you're going to have to monitor the door. See, that's how I know that there's a real chef doing the podcast. <laughs> when food makes, like, you know, so we've done 15 or 16, and, and food has only showed up once or twice. And I feel like that's like. I'm like an Italian grandmother. Right. Like when there's. <laughs> Go to my house. Like, hey, does anyone want lunch? Uh, you guys want something to go? Um, uh, but a true uh, restaurateur, I mean, also you offered coffee. I hope you didn't have to go make I you made it. First made time I made First time since we've been open, I made coffee. Oh my you. god! That what a privilege! I you figured it here. out. I always act. Uh, always act like they don't know how to make coffee. So it's like, hey, do you know how to make coffee? Do you know how to make coffee? Yes. Laugh, but we can figure it out. Yes, it's the well. Listen. It's always that privilege of wearing a white coat. They're like, someone's going to make me coffee. It is true. I feel like it's the one thing it never really gets contracted, but it should. Like uh, at five oh one, someone will bring up a double espresso what? to the past, oh, right? Oh. But I also feel like that. I, I feel like that's an old school thing. Do, do like I still do that. You do. You do that. I drink a lot of coffee, so I yeah. But I, I'll always have. Uh, I'll have some right before service if, if we know we're going to be busy. I'll get a double espresso or a nice coffee or whatever. But I'm a, I'm a coffee guy, so yeah, it's one of those I, things. I walk in the door and the guy bring me coffee. There you go. So I, I mean, um, they so, still don't know whether I take sugar or cream after like five years. Oh well, you have <laughs> they so bring it anyway. I'm like, stop bringing. It. You also have so many places, well, though, yeah, right? So you're busy. So like, how can one? Barista in one of your restaurants, uh, you know, know what your exact coffee order is, right? I know now, this is how I know I've grown to a certain point in my career when actually I was in one of my restaurants the other day and the, a server brought the coffee, but they brought it for my uh, executive chef of that restaurant. And I was like, what? Hey, this is, I'm still a part of this thing. Yeah, right. yeah. I should get yeah. a, I founded this thing. Uh-huh. Where's my coffee? Has that happened? You're probably just too much of a. Of a big dog that, that someone would uh, the, um, bypass this, your coffee. This service. one of my bartenders when I walk in the building of the restaurant, he when he knows I'm coming to town, he's got iced coffee, cold brewed, waiting for me. Oh, that's I kinda, good. I like. And that's a bartender. Yeah, that's almost that's like executive si- assistant yeah. status. Yeah. That's a, a bartender is hard to break. They think they're in their own. <laughs> they think they're in their own little world. Ooh, you know? I like that. They do. They kind of have this freelance mentality to them, right? I think. Some not managers, not waiters. They don't need to know the menu. Right. They got it under control. Yeah, they count cash. Yeah, they're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're not, I say that knowing that that's how I met my wife. By the way, she was a, a, a bar manager at one of my restaurants. Not that I condone. Uh, from, if, if, if HR is listening right now, that was long, long ago. Um, but there is. They have. They live out on their island. Um, and servers sometimes too, a little bit, right? Like what's now? You so uh, fair to say that you sort of uh, come from maybe the old school of management, or like you were brought up like I was by the way like in hard kitchens like hard European style kitchens mm-hmm. um, yeah I come from a, uh, the French kitchens with captains non-speaking English waiters right and like they would not I mean they you, I mean, really don't talk unless you're spoken to sort of situation right and the kid chef never goes in the dining room right Ooh, I mean, like, that's. I mean I worked at a restaurant called La Cremaire up in uh, Westchester in the early 80s and Wally Maloof was the chef. Uh-huh. And cook chef, you never went at night. Wow. Chef did. He did. Right. Occasionally. Right. But you didn't, like, mosey out over. You know, first of all, you didn't have open tables, so there was nobody ever in whites going to check out the book. Oh, there you <laughs> go. You right. Know, tapping a Which screen, really, trying I mean, to flirt with a host. I was going to say, like, 
I, I was going to say open table also kind of functions as Tinder because it's cooks trying to go to the host desk Correct. Correct. to see uh, you know who's working that. When you, that, that when night. you spend eighty hours a week in the kitchen <laughs> with a bunch of men, back then it was mostly men. Right. You know, any chance <laughs> yeah, to meet I, to talk to a female hostess was like you know. Right. Got to get There's out to say hello. I'm checking on the, I'm checking the book. How many covers do we have? Right. Do we, we, now we laptops, up in the last five minutes? Yeah, but now at laptops you can you know you can have the open table working on. Uh, on the pass in the kitchen, um, so but in those old old school days, so chefs didn't go into the dining room. Or maybe the chef went in the dining room, but they certainly weren't as much of a presence, right? Because like my first big chef was uh, you know Daniel Ballou, who was a, like I think like a kind of a master of the dining room, like the mayor almost, like spends a fair amount of time shaking hands, kissing babies, etc. Um, but that was not how you came up, right? With chefs parading around the dining room? I worked for Daniel in 1984. Okay, yes, before and, I did. And I don't think he was in the dining room that much because it was at the Plaza Athenae, but he was certainly, he's got a big personality. So he was, you know, it was a, it was a new play, a new hotel. Right. And uh, he had, people came in the kitchen. People came in the kitchen yeah. and it was like, you know, parading people from, through the kitchen. Berger, all these chefs and... And I'm sure he went out and did his thing, but I wouldn't notice that he was in the dining room because, you know, our heads were down. Right, of course. You know, our heads were down and it was it. That's kind of fascinating to me. So, so sometimes on the podcast we get into these family tree sort of discussions. And when you're like, oh, yeah, I was working with Danielle and then I worked for Danielle, right? And that, that tree of all these, there was that moment specifically, I mean, in the nation, but in, you know, I'm a native New Yorker. Where it was like, you know, it's you and Danielle and Boulay and Charlie Palmer and a couple of names I'm probably forgetting. But that, it was just a small group of basically kings. Like, you're a king in this industry. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, people are bringing you coffee, etc. Yes. Um, but, like, I mean, has that's changed a little bit. There's Because now there's like, you know, there's a thousand chefs, right? And there's television. It's a big chess game now. There's a lot of kings. Right. There's, well, the I, board is broadened. There's a bunch of pawn. I'm the pawn, right? <laughs> so, you got to move one step up at a time. Everyone's wide go it, diagonally. There's been a lot of changes since those days. I mean, the uh, you know, I, I often think back to uh, coming out of school and working in New York. In order to get your bones, you had a handful of restaurants to work at. If you wanted to be in New York, you had a dozen restaurants to work in New York City to be considered a contender or to be to really be considered a chef not a cook right you wanted to work if you were a true if you were a guy like me you went to school and you wanted to be and I I didn't want to own restaurants because I didn't know a chef that owned restaurants and I didn't want to be famous because I didn't know a chef that was famous right I wanted to be the quarterback of my kitchen that's all I wanted to do and I wanted to, I wanted to have a great kitchen and I think guys that went to school with me, like Kiarella and Todd English and Charlie, was a little ahead of me. Now, was that that wasn't one class, was it? We were close. We were okay. in the same year because that that would. But be the way the CIA same. works is you're never really in the same class, right? But that same year, uh, Todd was behind me. Kiarella was ahead of me. I didn't know Michael in school, but I knew Todd somewhat. Uh, but again, it's hard to meet people there because you're. I worked sure. went to school, and you're in your block of thirty people or whatever you have with you. But you're, you, but that is a two-year zone that existed with all those two-year zone. And before, now you're ahead of all. The, by the way, <laughs> now you, you were just in the same group, but now you're like ahead of all. And, and that, that was before American Bounty came out. Oh wow! So okay. this, was so this 80, is inside we baseball CIA stuff right here. This is that's CIA. a restaurant that exists at the CIA. Which, oh yeah, for my listeners, we should be clear. Yeah, it's not. It's it's a it's a culinary school. The CIA. It's not, yes. it's not special ops or yeah. or secret ops. Yeah, the, that that's that was the school, and to become a. 
the decision to be a chef in the 70s, which I decided to be a chef in the 70s, was a very unpopular decision with parents and sure, colleagues sure. and my wrestling coach. <laughs> yeah, I wrestled too. I was a horrible wrestler. I was a one-on-one. Oh, Can well, you believe that? You wrestled at one-on-one? Okay. That's amazing. First of all, fresh, you, freshman but varsity wrestler. Well, of course. Well, that means you're really good, yeah. first of all. You're bra- that's a humble brag for everyone who's listening. Um, you wrestled at one-on-one. I, I, I didn't even have to worry about weight. I used to hate those guys because I wrestled at like 146 because I just couldn't not, I couldn't make weight. So I would eat like a pizza. Maybe wrap a bag, a garbage bag. Exactly. I would do all of those horrible things. Again, don't ever do this, kids, but like eat X-lax, run in garbage bags. Um, and then I would just get spitting destroyed. in a cup on the way to the game. Yeah, spit all of that sort of stuff. And I, I remember I would get pinned. I got pinned once in like 11 seconds, and my face mask is on backwards. I broke my finger. It was just like I, like I had a big wedgie. You know what happens when you're sliding across the mat like that? It's, it's, I was a horrible wrestler. You wrestled 101. First guy out. Yeah, and that's what I remember. So like, I, every time I would get pinned, my head would be on the side of the mat, and I would look to the side, and there'd be the 101 or the 98 cages like jumping up and down, like yeah, go get him, Spike, get him, get him. And like, oh, you, you do tough sport. Yeah, it is. But I think that there's a commonality there because, especially you're saying in, in the time that you're getting into a kitchen, it's not super popular. It's incredibly, it's hard work. It's hot. There's a lot of commonalities with wrestling. Yeah, and there's there's a, there's a sense of. Uh... The kitchens back then, there was a sense of camaraderie. There was a lot of teamwork. There was a lot of cut-ups, too. I mean, there was guys in the kitchens, and it was mostly men back then. There was a sprinkling of a few girls. That has changed quite a bit now. Right. <clears throat> and uh, so you went to work, even as a dishwasher, where I started, and you had fun. Right. You had some fun. I mean, you worked hard. You got through the rush. You got ready for the rush. You ate well. You joked around. I was with a bunch of Vietnam vets who were chefs who loved hanging out, partying, right. and and had the sports cars, and but when it came to work, man, they were magic. Right. They could. And they had the cookbooks out, and they could make. And then when they, you know, it was like a, it was like being in a band. It was time to go on stage. Everyone did their stuff, and just it is. But and like you mentioned, kind of mentioned, it's it's got a there's a there was and there is still to a certain extent that pirate ship yeah. mentality. It's like we're yeah. gonna go rob the well, seas tonight. We're gonna beat the service. We're right. gonna have a good service. We you know. When you have a guy, when you have guys that complain about when it's too busy, it's not the right crowd. That's not the group. You want the guys that say, bring it on. Right. <laughs> now, do you think that because food's become so popular that that's a tougher thing to find? Like, the newer breed of chef that's coming out of culinary school, they're watching a lot of these shows, and, like, volume is something they're not interested in. They, they're interested in tweezers and art, and, you know, they want to do a pop-up for six people. And It's a different head. Right. To hold the, the adrenaline's gone. If the adrenaline's gone for me, there's something missing. I mean, I don't. You know, I can go work in a research kitchen to do that. But there's a place for all of this. Right. There's, so you still you still get get the rush of a of a, of a I busy want the rock and roll action. I want you I and want, me both, brother. You know, I, I, I there's something about a busy dining room yeah, that just I like, see gets it, the blood flowing. I want to hear the noise. I want the clinking. Listen, it's going to be a bad night, but when that's when that's beautiful, it's beautiful. So you well, it's, it's writing. It's writing. It's like an orchestra. You, just, you design a menu, you hire the cooks, you put this dish here, this dish there, you know what, what can handle, and all of a sudden it's like, let's yes. go. It's an orchestra with pirates. It's organized, That's, organized chaos. Yeah, I kind of yeah. like that, too. I yes. like that sort of... Well, when we were chefs at the River Cafe, we were called the pirates. Now, that was a biz... That, that's volume, right? That's, that was insane. It was volume. Vi- but, you know, volume is... Volume, if you have the right crew and you have the right equipment, volume is just a matter of... Yeah, I love that. I've been doing a lot of, like keynote talks and it sounds a little more hoity-doity than it actually is but this idea that you know you can't get good food out at high volumes just bothers me to no end West Point does it right I mean and and like there's 5,000 meals out at about 
20 minutes. Right. Or something obscene like that. But it's, you know, there's a, they have the technique and they got the equipment and everything is, is organized. Right. And, you have the and tools and the I don't personnel. know how good it is, but I'm sure it's nutritional and tasty. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it doesn't I mean, have, I'm gonna, it doesn't have sherbet on it. I'm going to guess your food's better. I mean, I know what? that your food's better. I have not dined at West Point, so no offense to the, to the cadet. Oh, I think my food might be better. No, I know it's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, so it's a different level. Now, so we're talking about volume, though, but here's something that, again, you're, you're, you don't know this because we, we're, we've hung out a couple of times, but I don't think I've ever expressed like how much respect I have for you and how much you influenced me as a younger, like reading your books and reading your story. And I Thank feel you. like, you know, yeah, you, you, you do big, delicious food, I think is one way, like bold flavors and like food you want to eat. But at the same time, I feel like you're one of the pioneers, if not the pioneer of like creating food that is sort of like art, like, you know, like it's architecture, if you will. Uh, but that's different than the mentality of like, let's go get them, let's let's cook a bunch of steaks and get through the night, because you're the first chef I think that really branded to me the first chef that really like was creating his brand with inside specific dishes that he was creating. Probably correct. Nice. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, and- I think there's a few, but I I think being at at the time this was happening, I was at the River Cafe. Okay. Now. Before me was Charlie, uh, Larry Ford, Joan, and Charlie. And Charlie and I overlapped for a couple of years. I had left Charlie to move to France. I studied pastry. And by studying pastry, I had a different outlook on plating. Because I had worked in mostly French restaurants before that, some classic, some, some continental restaurants as a kid growing up in Jersey where it's the, the, the protein and three sides and all sure, that. Sure, sure. And then with Wildy, which is kind of the fancy version of that. And um, I, it's, it's hard to concentrate right now. I just want to be clear because it's, <laughs> there's like shingled bacon uh, showing up behind us right now. That's the tower. Is that a tower? Is it? It's a clothesline. The clothesline of bacon. Octopus. Octopus that looks like it's emerging from the sea. So food has showed up, everyone. We're taking some pictures. We'll throw it up online. So, um, so at the river, so I came back. I took over for Charlie, and uh, pastry was on the forefront. We had a big pastry thing and our presentation, and I had worked at a place called Maison Blanche in Paris, where the guy was Portuguese, and he was doing, building dishes, stacking food, okay. and uh, he had a big spread in Vogue, French folk, and I had size there, and I worked there, and, and so he was a big influence, right. because he, I worked on a line. I went to pastry school, got abused, right. worked in a couple of pastry shops, like Fauchon, got abused, Whew, and wow. then at night I'd go there and make galette potatoes, and they'd let me cook, and that's what I was good at. And I would be, then eventually got on the line because the guy cut his finger. I jumped in, blah blah blah, and bonus. But it was just a great feeling because I missed it so much. You know, I was just, I just want to show people I'm not an American guy that doesn't know anything about pastry or doesn't know how to cook. Because right. I told people, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a chef at this cafe in Brooklyn. They're like, cafe, you know, that's like, sure, so then right. I was like, okay, fine, yeah. go over there and peel about <laughs> three bags of carrots. And, and, and even more so then, there was that sort of notion that Americans couldn't cook. Correct. And there was also, I feel like you had to go, if you felt like you had to go to Europe to get your stripes. Well, I think I went to Norway when I got out of CIA. Immediately after CIA, I worked in Norway, which was, uh, I was recommended to cook in a, a very fancy home uh, by one of my instructors, and it got me to Europe. That was the only reason I went. I cooked by myself in a home, tested all these recipes, and then I took off and went to Europe on a pet train pass. And then I was like, I wasn't afraid to go anymore because I realized, okay, I don't have to speak French to work in France. Right. I figure it out. 
So that was my introduction, was that the first bold move was, was to get on that plane after CIA and go work in Norway. From there, I, I, I worked with uh, Waldi at this restaurant up in Westchester, which was super French. It was tied to La Caravelle in New York. It was a sister restaurant. It was created in 1940. It was one of the best restaurants in America at the time. Still there, called La Cremere. There were tokes involved. Oh, everything. Exactly. Tokes. Just, and we they're had, coming back, by the way. I love tokes. So that, that's going to be one of my Is it? last oh. questions. Oh. One what? of my 86 items. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the surprise. Um, so the design... You're, so you're so sort of, back to yeah. the design element. Yes. Art Culinaire was big. I worked at the River Cafe. For those of you listening, the River Cafe has the most magnificent view of any restaurant, almost any restaurant in the world. Sits under the Brooklyn Bridge with a magnificent view of Manhattan. Yes. And people came and they'd pay for window seats and get engaged and they'd look out the window and fall in love and, and not look at the food. And I was like, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to start looking at the food. Right. And I asked Buzzy O'Keefe, you know, I said, Listen, let's put some curtains up. <laughs> with, <laughs> nice. That's how passionate I was. I'm like, come on, man. This is, look at that dish. Right. Beautiful. Yes. <laughs> and so my, I, I just worked on presentation. And worked on design, and worked on wow factor, and worked on what would be, how is my food going to be better than Charlie's and Larry's? It has to be. We can all make the same creme brulee. Right. We can all make the same omelet. How is mine going to be more unique? So I had to brand my food with a, a look and a, a, and a style, and that's what you might be referring to. So when you saw it, Michelle Richard is another guy who could have done that. Yes. Because when you saw his food, I could see a, a, a photo on a cover magazine and know it was Michelle Richards. Right. Just by knowing his whimsy and yeah. knowing that he, he's a guy that would do that. And I think my food had some of those characteristics. Where you'd say, that looks like Burke did that. It's got, a, it's got a potato chip that's stuffed with herbs and it's sitting across and it's on a bed of... It's, you know, it's hanging from a clothesline. Or... I, I think more so than, I mean, again, with all respect to all these amazing chefs you're naming, your food stands out, you know, like, I mean, Michelle Richard, rest in peace, like, amazing food, but, like, yours absolutely stands out. So much so, I'm going to, I want to tell you a quick little story. On the way over here, we were in Williamsburg, and we were taking an Uber over here, and uh, one of my publicists, we were talking about David Burke, someone call her out, and he's like, oh, the guy who does all the Instagrammable food, and I was like... Oh my God! I mean, she's twenty something, so we can forgive her. But like, to me though, that that proves what I'm trying to say is like you were doing Instagrammable food before anyone had before Instagram. we before we had beepers, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I agree with that, and I use that sometimes when I speak because it's it was the postcard. Very right. It was the, <laughs> it's the postcard you take home with you. Now we have Instagram, but right. people want to remember something. Now, my cheesecake lollipop tree, we gave you that. Right? Yes. That was something that was shareable. So it was easy. It made a lot of sense. I mean, because the cheesecake pop tree came when I started dabbling with steakhouses. What did they eat? Why does anyone eat a pound of cheesecake after a pound of steak? So I was like, let's make something that's light and shareable. Right. That's fun. That a waiter can get out to the table and five and say, listen, let me get you a little something while you have your coffee for $25. Exactly. Oh, so I like that. So the design is really coming through. Your fact that you're a good business person as well. Oh, you want to move just, the table. You want to make the sale. I want no, a souffle. They're not going to buy five souffle cakes. on every table. Right. Right. So and, I, and when they see that, there's eye candy. What is that? I want that. They walk in the dining room and you're like, oh, that's, that's like, 
you know. Yeah, it's I, I use this I and mean, sometimes this comes into my food as well. It's like, well, it's it, this is our fajita in the Mexican right. restaurant. Right. And you see it in smoking and sizzling yep. or it's under a giant container. But you created that. And now like there are literally all these digital brands that have been, you know, born that are just, you know, outrageous food that, you know, you, you kind of came up with, you know, 20 years ago or so, yeah. perhaps. Um, so how does we'll keep it at twenty? We'll keep it at twenty. I like twenty. <laughs> twenty works for me. Um, one of those one of those dishes for me that I that also you know I think there's one thing with the design and here we're looking at uh, you know the 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 clothesline of bacon that's that's hanging in front of us. But like one of those dishes to me that I thought was incredible was the the sword shop. Oh right? yeah. yeah. What's the, I mean that to me is because like that's just that's, some, a, that's a way back, that's a way back yeah. Is it can can you share the like oh, yeah. the origin of that? This is a great this is a great dish. This is this is a dish that I actually had an argument with Thomas Keller about when he said to me we're at a line somewhere, and uh, he was telling me he goes you know everything's been done before. Okay. Yeah. It's just different you know different yeah, yeah, interpretations. Sure. I'm like no 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 it's not true. I said the swordfish job, and he looked at me and he goes, son of a bitch. <laughs> you got that one? Right. Well, here's what happens with the swordfish job. I'm having dinner with a girl when I was a chef at the River Cafe late one night, which we always ate at, you know, 2 in the morning. This is the Blue Ribbon days, <clears throat> the early days, so oh, 25 years ago. We've all been, yeah. Like and I the cut rooms. the head off of a big of a trout, and I get a little chop uh-huh. right here. It looks like a baby rabbit chop, which I'm sure you've seen. Sure, yeah. And I take a napkin and I write down small fish, small chop, big fish, big chop, and I tack it to my bedpost. It was have been there for three years. Right. Not that I don't clean my... No, no, that's... <laughs> but it was up there yeah, for a while. The point was it was a big idea. Right. So like one day... It was on a napkin. <laughs> I signed a deal with Alan Stillman after I left the River Cafe, the founder of uh, Smith Wonski, to open Park Avenue Cafe. The day we signed the deal, I'm in the kitchen there, and I finally get down to the fish market, and I say, give me a big fish neck. And I, I, I look around and I get a swordfish. I take it back, and to me, it resembles a loin of veal or a rack of veal. I got the chop. Sure. I take a uh, cleaver to it. I cut it, and you know what? There it is. And at what point did they? I mean, and then did you started branding them, right? Well, That's you know what I did is because back then <clears throat> we're at the River Cafe, and a lot of the ideas we had because our sous chefs crossed the river. You know, between John George, myself, Keller, a couple others, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Gotham Bar and Grill, Four Seasons. <clears throat> We would get, people would get, the, Brooklyn never got the credit for the dishes that we created because we, we didn't have publicists and we didn't have the time. You know, New York right. Times wasn't over. People weren't eating over there. Yeah, the tourists were eating Brooklyn. Who lives in Brooklyn? Who lives in Brooklyn? That's right. <laughs> so finally, I was like, I said, there's only two per fish. We're going to trademark it and we're going to put a number like the Tour d'Argent does with the ducks. And still was like crazy. It's crazy enough that it'll work. And, and, and obviously it did. And it was, a, you know, but it was a beautiful find. It was a cut of meat that got thrown away, or was used for kebabs by Koreans and other ethnic cuisines. Right. Because you had to be a really good butcher to figure out. No one had ever put it, left it on the bone. In fact, the New York Times wrote a story that said I was sticking veal bones into swordfish steaks. Oh, yeah. So now that's the Richard Blaze move. That's what I did. <laughs> I just get some meat glue out, and now I'm sticking yeah. all sorts of animal bones and different things. Right? Look what you've created, David yeah. Burr. Like, how come there's only two? I want eight. I need 20 tonight. Exactly. Like, Where are those bones? So we, 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 we got them for free for a couple of years. We just got them for free because they would throw them away. Right. And then they realized... Shit, this Another crazy. sort of design then that also had this amazing business application. It was a If great... you're getting food for free <laughs> and selling it, that's a pretty good profit yeah. margin. Well, there's a lot of butchery to it, right. but that's a, people, the butchers I had hated it. It stunk. Right. Because it couldn't be ice. It was the... You know, when you catch a swordfish on a boat, they take the sword off in the head because sure. it's just too long. 
and that neck piece is underneath, but it's it's gold. It's a delicious. It's, it's, big, so it's delicious. like a short rib. It has so much fat. In it. Ooh, you, I've so never we, heard it described. So you can you can roast the hell out of it. It's still moist. Right. So you think a swordfish normally it dries down quickly. The loin, yes, but that neck piece, it's like a neck of yeah. a, a mammal. I mean, you just keep roasting and it self-bases itself, and it's it was one of those. Di- you know what? I don't even like swordfish. It was just one of those dishes that kept getting. Repeat, 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 and we'd run out every night. We only had twenty-five a night. Right. So you also sort of were one of the first people to sort of do like that limited availability, almost oh, yeah. secret well, menu. Create, There's only twelve well, chops available right. tonight. Yeah, and we'd always have to save some. And people would call up and say, "I want to reserve four chops. I want to." Re-. Okay, and they, they'd get upset if you have. That's <laughs> like, amazing. Well, what I love about that dish is that it, it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't have the like obvious bells and whistles of like the clothesline with bacon. It's just. The beauty of that dish is just that it came from an interesting part of an animal that wasn't even being used. When we, when we put it on the menu, we kept, we did it with a little ditalini pasta and herb de Provence jus because I knew this dish would be on the menu for many years and I didn't want to have a different cook messing with the sauce all the time. So it had to be consistent. So we went the route of, you know, four tablespoons of herb de Provence, quarter chicken stock, half a cup of lemon juice and whatever. Are you giving out recipes? Stick That's amazing. <laughs> Whatever it was sure. back then, right? Because I said this thing's going to be a classic, so we might as well keep it nice and simple. <clears throat> and we never changed it. And then eventually, uh, some of the steakhouses started buying them for five dollars a pound, and we just said, "Okay, goodbye." Amazing. We did you trademark did. it, but Whoa. patented, patented See, food, is... patenting. Well, we tried to protect our source. Sure. We wanted to trademark it. So then, we what would you want. trade? You were you can't trademark swordfish, or you you can't trademark the process of cutting the chop or butchering the chop a certain way. You can apply for trade. You never get a patent right. on something that exists like that because chop and sword exist. So everything's descriptive. Right. Pastrami salmon, which is a creation from the river. I can't, it's on my list. Yeah. I can't create. I can't trademark pastrami or salmon because they're both existing. Right. I can create. David Burke's gourmet pops and trademark that. Right, doesn't, but you it doesn't but you, prevent Starbucks. But let's be clear, like you kind of created that, like you put okay. I mean, pastrami salmon. Another, no, it's not kind of that's a right. Well, yeah. I, there you go. So I didn't, I didn't want, yeah. I didn't know if you were going to yeah, say yeah. someone else. Did. But that's from my Norwegian days, of course. Which, by the way, let's, I just also want to. I'm 13 percent Norwegian. Are you? I did one of the DNA like tests. Yeah, did I just you? wanted to. Be I was. I wanted to do that. I just wanted to get that out there. It's oh, good. good. Now I can break down Tuesday my DNA by percentage. Have you ever been? I've not been. No. So it's well, kind when of I went there, the food was, was like Ireland, but that right. was many years ago. And one of the guys who worked for me at Park Ave Cafe is one of the leading chefs there. Oh wow! And you know, winning the Olympics and all. <laughs> I remember reading that, and when uh, one of your—I don't know if it was your first book, but that was the book that I kept oh, yeah. close to me yeah, yeah. about. That was a good. Your that was story. a good book for true cooks. Yeah, it had a lot of good tips in it. Just like you kept the swordfish chop by the nightstand, I kept your book. Okay. <laughs> by, by, by night nightstand. Then I sold it for a lot of money, by the way. Cause you're you know, somebody famous. showed me a picture of one of my books for sale on eBay. Right. <laughs> like, come on, $5. Yeah. Like, and it was signed. I'm like, come on. Yeah, I, come on. This is worth at least $500. Uh, so pastrami salmon, this is, I mean, okay, so you're taking this sort of uh, the Norwegian, the salmon. And the, and well, the I come back from Norway. I worked in Norway. So now I'm at the River Cafe. We built a smoker. Charlie and I built a smoker together. We were smoking chicken bones for chicken stocks, smoking our own fish, making our own bacon, smoking shrimp shells, creating... It was, the River Cafe was the laboratory. We had the resources. We had the budget. We could make whatever we wanted. We didn't... Our, you know, our, the owner was like, go ahead, go for it. And we did, within reason. I mean, we, you know, we couldn't... If it sold, it was good. 
you know. Right. And we had a huge Japanese clientele, so we were making stuff that was just, you know, sweet bread. We made the bacon out of kidneys and served it with calves' liver, bacon lardons, kidney lardons. Nice. Fantastic. I mean, fantastic. But I mean, you try that now, you're like, you, you know. It might work if you're in Williamsburg, right. back in Brooklyn. No, actually, there's a restaurant that only serves that in Williamsburg. No. Yeah, exactly. Just Kidney oh, Lardones. The, the Kidney that's, House. Yeah. yeah, the Kidney House. It's with artisanal mayonnaise and Kidney Lardones. That, that's all they serve. And they used to be the Pig Ear House. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They keep turning over their business. Um, so, so to making that dish so New York. So here's what we did. We had the belly of the fish because we squared off the salmon. Everything was about perfection and cooking. How can I get the salmon steak to cook equally when I get the flap of the belly that dips and this and that? So we turn the belly off. And what do you do with bellies? You make pastrami or corned beef. So we said, okay, let's try smoked pastrami salmon with the bellies. We got a review from Brian Miller, three stars. He loved it. But it was, it was the bellies. Right. It was warm. With potato salad, kind of like yeah. that. <clears throat> and really we hungry. started that. Then when we moved it to Park F Cafe, we built the smoke and we were making it. Like salami, round. The whole fish was like a porchetta of salmon with the pastrami wrapped in call fat, seared off, smoked, pastrami, and uh, fantastic. But a lot of work. Okay. So like a roulette. Okay. So I'm but trying to... But we got rid of pork fat. Got it. Okay. And Perona Farms started making it for me. And the coach of the New York Knicks, Pat Riley, yes. comes in one day and he wants it for his Christmas party. He goes, do you guys sell this retail and meat? Like... Of course. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how many That's need? how businesses Because I need like 60 pounds. I'm like, no problem. Nice. <laughs> like, go back in the kitchen. I'm like, order 120 pounds of salmon. Right. Said, Pick it up in five days. And that's how we started. That's how we started on the retail market. The CW brings you to the front line of drama with the new military series, Valor. Two special ops army helicopter pilots. Listen, they break boundaries and defy all expectations. Their bravery in the face of impossible odds earn them the distinguished flying cross for valor. But together, they're finding that truth is the first casualty of war. During their last mission, something went wrong, something no one's talking about. And when they went into the combat zone, not everyone came home. So now they have secrets, but they're also patriots and refuse to leave any man behind. What would you do if you had to break the rules to do what's right? Would you stay grounded, step in line? or go to any lengths to learn the truth. They share secrets, go on clandestine missions, risk life and limb with only each other to depend on. How close would you get to the only person who really knows you? It's the explosive new drama that pushes the boundaries between military discipline and human nature. The new series that's right on target. Valor, after Supergirl, Monday, only on Charlie Whiskey, The CW. Hey there, I'm Victoria Shade, the host of PetMD's Life with Pets, where we celebrate pets and the people who love them. Each week on the show, I'll explore a different facet of pet parenting, from troubleshooting challenges like litter box problems to dealing with muddy paw prints on the couch to learning all about how you can help dogs and cats by fostering. You'll hear from amazing guests, and on most episodes, you'll also hear from Millie, my studio pup who likes to snore in the background. We've got new episodes launching every Monday, so make sure to listen exclusively at podcastone.com, the new podcast one app or at apple podcasts and it would be great if you could rate and review the show so other pet parents can find it that's pet md's life with pets learn laugh and become a better pet lover along the way now back to starving for attention with richard blaze now uh, do you have uh, like again you're one of the few chefs i think also there's this sort of new thing where like people are anti-signature dish 
which is something that I, I love, like the idea of a signature dish. I've never heard of anyone anti. I, mean, I, I feel like a lot. Oh, I, we just made, we do it on a thirty course menu, and it's, we don't have a dish that's signature. But I feel like you were creating, like you were, you were never out to create the signature dish. It's like a band; they don't go into the studio to create a great song. They just make music, and then right. one of them gets really right. popular. Right. Um, but obviously, that is something that you're okay with. Like when a dish gets super popular, I, boom, there we go. I raise the price. You're right there, exactly. There you, go. Uh, you start your own business. So like, uh, and then the salmon now is something that's like you can just. Uh, Acme up. smoked salmon and Brooklyn makes it for me. They sell a little bit of a retail. We don't chase the retail world with it yet because we're just too busy. But it, it certainly, we did it one time when Perona made it. Perona sold the smoked salmon business, and uh, it's another business. And and like, you need someone else to operate and run it. And right now, I don't really. I haven't. I'll get back to that soon. Yeah. But right now, it's you know I I have to make it so I can buy it. I want my own products made for me, like my cheesecake pops, pastrami salmon. I have my own dried beef, so that I can buy it. Now, if they want to sell it to other people, I'm okay with it. I don't need to. You don't have to pay me all that. But when we get to that level, I'll let I will tap in when I get caught up with some other things. Right. But in the meantime, I, I get to buy the best of what I, I've been able to create without trying to make because I can't afford to make all these things right. anymore because it's just too expensive. And I don't have all the equipment to smoke. I don't have the equipment to make my own cheesecake pops and to right. make this. I just don't, and, you know, and I can't do it consistently the same year after year like a, like a company like Acme can do that. So you were also, <clears throat> I feel like, one of the first, again, you sort of created this brand, right? Like your own brand. Through perhaps even some of these techniques or signature dishes, and then you know you've done a, a, a bunch of consulting mm-hmm. as well, which I, again I don't think you know anyone does more, perhaps even more of like you're you've done a number of projects as a consultant, mm-hmm. right? Um, how does how do you think that like fits in with like as your brand develops? Well, do you think the signature dishes made the consulting more appealing, or is it just that you're a great chef, you cook delicious food? I think that. People hire a consultant that has unique ideas, not just for the brand. I mean, the brand helps because the brand will sell. I mean, there's people with brands that are terrible, that have a good brand but can't cook. Right. And they'll be hired for a project, but at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. What are you bringing to the table? Besides, you know, yo, we got Chef ABC here, and then we got Chef XYZ here. Who's really, who's got the wow factor Who's got the dish? Who can play the game? Right. You know, I mean, because people are smart now. They want to. They want to see something different. You have to give the them clientele the on a yeah. cruise ship, for example. I consult with the Hall of America. They they're they're savvy to what's going on. They they don't want to just see a guy's name. They want to make sure the dish is legitimate. You know, and, and so do I. If I'm going to do a dish for a cruise ship, I want to make sure I can inspect it and I get a picture of it and I give them a dish number one that's executable. Because I used to write menus for Singapore Airlines, and we would try. You know, this, the, the harder you make the dish, the more the caterer hates you. Right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, like, I'm learning that. Like, yeah. hey, listen, man, this guy's. A, you know, if you, you work within their parameters and say, hey, this gets my vision across, it gets my <clears throat> style across, and you guys can still execute it. Because the worst thing is having them not want to execute the dish, then it's a disaster. True. Yeah. I mean, even sometimes when it's simple, they hate me. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't smoke trout in the air. Just so you know, yeah, thirty thousand exactly. feet um, to, to order. So does that consulting happen the same way, sort of as like the salmon business, where like all of a sudden Pat Riley walks in and hey, I'm doing a I'm not Pat Riley. Yeah, restaurant you know sense, what? But, you get a phone call. Right. I mean, you know what happens to me a lot of times is people refer to me. To, I get referred for new product. 
Himalayan salt. This was 15 years, 20 years ago. Some which you, which Himalayan yeah. salt you have a patent yeah. on for dry aging. For dry aging, which came about completely by me searching for a different idea. Interesting. Uh, I was working on my flavor sprays, but and Where, then, it's on the list. We're going to talk okay. flavor sprays. So I think people recommend me if someone has a new product, like why don't you send Burke get his opinion and let him try it. Uh, I have actually bone. I have. I, you just reminded me. Last two weeks ago, Rochelle, you know from Chefware. Okay. She sent me some swordfish bone marrow. Yeah. Which oh. is in the freezer. Okay. I, you just reminded me. Yeah. She's like, my friend of mine's importing this from somewhere over in Spain, and I said he's got to send you some and see what you can do with. I'm like, right. okay, I'll try it out. Okay. I know what it is. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to slurp it home. I was going to say, yeah, the gelatinous that's a, that's, clear yeah. liquid. That, what, the, what's know, the marketing pitch behind swordfish bone I mean, marrow? It makes you super smart. I'm just trying yeah, to figure yeah, out what it is. Yeah, it cures cancer. Something exactly. Like yeah, yeah, something, something really sick. <laughs> okay, so a lot of people are actually... They, so. But you'd have to put that in a little ravioli and put it in a broth. I mean, the only way you're going to eat that. That's right. It has to be like a soup dumpling. Are we creating a dish together? Or, it's got to be like yeah, a soup yeah, dumpling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, did you just validate that idea, or did you have it first? You probably had it first. Your well, it's first. collaboration, man. Where it's, That's right. You beat me to market anyway. <laughs> Even if we have the same <laughs> yeah, idea. You know what? I'm going to give you the. I'm going to give. You're going to give me that one. Marrow, I'm going to get the, the bone marrow, marrow soup dumpling. My manager's here. I'll so keep you, the crab cakes. <laughs> yeah, you can keep all of the stuff that actually uh, sells, right? Which is a lot of stuff. So, you, and how do you manage to juggle all those projects? How many restaurants right now are you? Uh, do you have your hands? Well, I have. I'm. name on. I have my name on a few. I manage a couple. Right. I don't manage a couple others because okay. of some litigation stuff. Okay. Over branding, name. Right. And uh, that's coming to a head. See, you guys fought for us there. And no, this is true. Like, you know, whether I'm talking like Tom Colicchio or, you know, uh, you know Marcus Samuelson is another great example. Like, you guys had to fight through, like, your name and likeness and, and, and like, your name as a brand. Thank, thank, I want to thank you for that because, like, we don't have to have those legal issues now because you guys have oh, you know, paved the way <laughs> for us, paid unfortunately. For it. <laughs> um, so, so it's licensing. It's very managing. important that you, uh, that the, you protect the brand, your name. And again, like when chefs are young, they, they start, you know, hey, I'm going to name it after me. It's fine. But, you know, you bring in investors that are very savvy and they have lots of money and then there's, they have enough power to try and bury you in court right and you and when you're younger you know and especially bef really before like the celebrity chef was on yeah. television um, the restaurant owns you the restaurant or the partners or whatever feel like all depending the, on the, how the, the brand contract, is the restaurant how the contracts are signed right. yeah. I trademarked my name by a company I owned separately many years ago so I my name was protected but it doesn't mean it can't be used in certain leases for the term of sure. lease where did, that all, where did all that business savvy come from with you um, people that worked with me, myself, you know, when I started to put my name on products, I had people that said, listen, you need to protect your name. You know, it's a good restaurant name. I, I have a very good restaurant name. David Burke is just a good, Dennis Master, you know, Dennis Master, he's yeah. like, you got the perfect name for a restaurant, David Burke. Yeah, it's strong. It's like John Smith. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I never realized it, but, except there's a gazillion David Burks and that's okay. I know three other David Burke chefs. And there's a couple actors. I believe. Yep. Right? Yeah. So you, I'm going to have a David Burke dinner and invite 50 David Burke. David Burke. And see who come in. <laughs> Hello, I'm David Burke. <laughs> and then, every, uh, and then the, those of you who are famous, you're just like, David Burke's going to be here. Yeah, David. And then just bring all your fan base. Say, hey, Burkey. See how many heads turn around. Um, all of a sudden, then you're, you're kind of like you're an inventor as well, or like you start dabbling in products. Well, I You mentioned flavor spray. Right. Which the first time I heard flavor spray, I was like, 
he beat me. He beat me again to market on something that is kind of amazing. And it was like bacon, yeah. Parmesan, right? There are different, still, different flavors. It's still something I want to get back to. Um, I was working, I'm from Jersey, and at Jersey they got all these flavor houses. And I was working, uh, I So flavor my, house is basically where there's just a thousand vials of any type of aroma it's, or flavor. It, it's a perfume house flavor. I grew up right next to IFF and when I was a kid, never knew what IFF was. It was right. a perfume factory, we thought. But they also dabbled in lots of flavors and fragrances. And as I got into uh, cooking at the river, I was getting like this tangerine powder and people, and we were making twills, but I'm like, I can't, I haven't tasted a tangerine like that since I was five. Right. You know, or I haven't gotten this flavor. I get better flavor from an artificial strawberry than a real one and it's true because yeah. the real ones are picked green and ripened and ripened in a truck etc so you're not getting that true essence of flavor sure but as a young chef I was taught never to use soup base you never you make everything from scratch you do you know this was cheating right which in fact it's not cheating at all now I mean I, I look at more than gourmet and their soup bases I'm like I'd be crazy to roast buns right if I can buy an organic all natural base that comes to me in a jar and I don't have to buy bones economically right. sound sure it's organic and it's smart, and it's consistent. And consistency is something we're having issues with because of the, the cook is not consistent anymore, and the amount of time they spend in your restaurant is not long enough for them to get really good because right. they want to come and go. If you have someone for a year, you, it's a blessing. They want to hit and run. They want to steal ideas and go. You know, and, that's, and that's okay if they give you a good amount of time, but again, you can... That's why robots are coming, David. Robots Burke. are coming. They're, the robots are coming for sure. Now, you know what? I say that to you, and like, you're like, they're coming. And I can tell we're being serious. Like, this isn't a joke. Like, you know, the automation and AI and all well, that. Well, you happening. know what? The, the robots, they're, they're here already. I mean, when Open Table came, there was a robot. Yeah. That replaced yes. a job. That replaced a guy working, you know, that could replace a guy at the door. That replaced someone answering yeah. the phone. Or there definitely was an admin job where people yeah, yeah. would answer the phone all day, right? Remember it that? Also, wow. It also killed the fact, it also killed overbooking, which I used to love. <laughs> Right. And a good made of D love. Yeah, now you gotta, gotta hack this. Now you need a hack. Now you gotta add nine tables. Yeah, 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 you gotta you gotta hack it. Well, you know, it's it's the way it goes. I mean I ate in a restaurant in Melbourne a few years ago. And uh, place today. Yeah. And the three star Michelin, beautiful. I was a guest chef and he had very few waiters. The cook served all the food. You know, again it's a one meal a night, you know, we're going two or different two different menus, let's call it. He had a sommelier, he had a couple of busboys, they, they scooped the butter out of uh, a basket, they make a quenelle at the table, really, really nice. But instead of having 15 waiters and 15 cooks, he had 20 cooks and five waiters. Right. And the cook, each extra cook at that station brought out the dishes and explained it. Because, you, you know, the ordering was simple. You're going to have a menu A or menu B. Yeah. And it's going to be a five course or a seven course, and we're going to serve it to you. And someone does the wine and the bread and does the crumbing and this and that. But there's nobody there hanging out. You know, after wine, you eliminate bodies. Eventually, the labor is going to kill us. So we got to figure out how to make, how to do more with less. Now, this um, is always the restaurant business. Exactly, exactly. And you have to be, you got to get ahead of it. Where, what are you up to now? Like, what's a new, a new David Burke project? Or um, I have. Uh, we're well, sitting in one of your amazing restaurants yeah, right at now. Tower Sixty Two. I'm working, we have a catering company we just formed uh, called David Burke and Elegant Affairs Catering. Um, have you always um, enjoyed, like I'm, I'm assuming from the business perspective, you like catering. But I feel like catering is one of those things as a chef, you're like, oh. I love catering. See, I guess, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I thought you I thought I you just like crazy stuff. I, I, when I catered uh, <clears throat> at the Plaza Hotel one time, 
we had high ceilings and we got we got hot air balloons. We made our own hot air balloons. Oh. Out of he- five foot helium balloons. We tethered them and we put a chef hat as the basket. Yes. <laughs> and we filled them with palm souffles and we floated them around the room with fish Whoa. and toilet. And you pulled it down and you had a palm souffle with a message on it. Like so you had you had fortune cookie fortune souffle. Souffle. <laughs> it was a hollow crispy potato <laughs> with a fortune and it was inside just of a, the pump souffle or a satchel like okay. mashed potato to it like you right. know it was like stuck to it and it said free drink at the bar free cookbook or kiss somebody next to you whatever it was so you were ahead of one of my new uh, well I, actually I don't want to reveal it because it's coming up later but like so you were into drones way before <laughs> Way before food delivery systems Something were about, like you that. were doing drones dropping. And people were like, flat. people remember those type of things, but I forget about stuff. You know, I was like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're a part of, you, you show up and you're like, yeah, I'll cater this wedding. You got a clothesline that goes across a football field. We're gonna lay out bacon <laughs> for you. Yeah, what do you call those things? You know, hang on. Oh, the zipline. Zip oh, a bacon zipline. Zipline with, zip with a sucking pig. I kind of like that. It was a TV show. It was a TV show. Then. Speaking of TV shows, so like you've, you know, you've, you've participated in Iron Chef and, mm-hmm. and uh, Top Chef Masters and all this sort of stuff. I go back to Ready, Set, Cook. Ready, Set, Cook with Susie Biggers? Is that, was that Ready, Set, Cook? Yeah. I remember that. Um, the tomato or the pepper? What was, that's how you bought it? That was a great show. <clears throat> John-Louis was- Paladin and I competed and he got very upset when I won. <laughs> I bet. We just were uh, talking to one of uh, Paladin's protégés in the last podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, that, that, wait, wait, you went up against Paladin and Ready, Set, Cook. A couple times. I have to YouTube. This is a YouTube yeah. moment. Everyone's got to go find that. We were tied. There's three, three 20-minute segments. Right. So we were tied. And then pastry came out. We right. Dessert. Oh, my and gosh. And he made a beautiful strawberry tart. Of course he did. And with an almond crust. And I made a strawberry soup on croup. And I won. Boy, I forget. Were there judges in that? Yeah. Sh- that's the what audience the, judge. The audience judge. Oh my gosh! That's like. Oh, that's like. <laughs> that's like, that's like, kind of like. Oh. The um, first, like one of the first, like food competition shows. That yeah, was on like, supermarket Robin sweep. Us. I was on Remember the, supermarket sweep? It was much. It was for. It was just people running around in a supermarket. Um, so, what are your what are your feelings on the whole boom of food media and television and the fact that it's just so incredibly saturated and. A young millennial over here is like, oh, that's the guy that does Instagrammable food. Uh, good, bad. I think there's good shows on TV. I don't. Again, I don't watch them all, so I can't tell you. I, I think there's good shows on, and I think there's silly shows. Um, some of them are educational and fun. I think Gordon's shows are pretty good. I kind of like them. I had a chance, you know, some of the shows he does with the, with the. I forget the name. But the one where they, you know they get the competition and narrow it down. Oh, the master. Uh, I like that yeah, show. Yeah, yes, that is a fun uh, show. If you're home, you can watch it every yeah. week. But they're yeah, well yeah. produced for sure. Well produced. I think there's some other shows, and then there's shows that are just how to make a cupcake or how to the, the whole competitive cupcake wars and all that yeah. stuff. And some of those shows, I'm not that keen on. Uh, right, some it's of those too shows. much. Well, I just don't think that's. Are they realistic. creating better? Are they creating better or worse cooks? Like, well, I don't know if, what the, if the TV shows are creating any cooks at all. I think they're creating perhaps a an image that being be, being able to cook is easy and fun, and it's all and you can be a chef. It's easy to be a chef and fun. And in fact, it has probably helped boom. It, it, certainly, TV has done a couple of really good things. One thing, it's gotten credibility to the hardworking chef, right? And it's one of the things that have helped, and which is great. It's also created this aura of, of re- great respect but also has created this thing that that it's a very respected job it's cool to be a chef you get a lot of respect and you know what you're probably going to be famous 
Right. And that's yeah, that probably, last part. Though, that's the that pro- yeah. probably part. It's probably going to be famous. Yeah, probably now it's, not. There's so many. I mean, and we'll just... open a restaurant. And this one's going to have a pop up, and you're going to have this, and you're going to invited to the Hawaii Food and Wine Festival, and you're going to travel around the world. Yes. And that's not the case, unless you're really, really good, or exactly. have a lot gotta, of money, and you can hire publicists. You still have the content. Um, by the way, I don't pay my publicists. Yeah. That much. <laughs> <laughs> right here, next to me, we can. Get and uh, so I think there's good and bad, and I think they're entertaining. I, I honestly, I'd right. rather watch a cooking show right now than anything else on TV because everything else on TV is crazy. Right. So at this that's point, true. It's a nice therapeutic well, thing. There's a good. That's a good segue to the. Uh, again, I'm, we're not. I don't want to get into this, but I just. I just as a. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. President Trump and well done steak and ketchup. Okay. That's. I'm just. Is it? Does he? Is it really ketchup and well done yeah. steak? Is it? Okay. Well, because I, I, I also, I in fairness, I want to say. I am guilty of dipping my steak. Yeah, in the well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you my my opinion on well done steak. I'll tell you my opinion on well done steak, and how good well done steak can be. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I judged a competition for a Boku store, which I competed in many times in the early days that nobody knows about. And now we do. Now me and of Ferdinand Metz do. were Ooh. judges, and Squab was the was the, the product. And as we judged. The best, well, the, the best tasting squabs were the most cooked, which means, and you would notice as a chef, that the more you cook something or roast something, the more sweet it gets and the better it could taste. Right. Now, the problem with the well-done steak is it's usually it's dry. Right, right. So, now, if you have a prime, dry-aged piece of meat that's marbled from, whether it's Creekstone Farms or sired from the bull I once owned from right. his loins, <laughs> and he's a thoroughbred, even well done, you get a good steak. Right. So, no defense to anybody that orders well done steak. I mean, you can you eat anywhere. My father eats well done meat, and a lot of people his age do because there was no refrigeration when they grew up. And you'll be damned if you're eating a rare steak that's been sitting on the, sure. on, the on the ledge of a windowsill all day. Right. So there's I mean, where the well done factor comes in for people that are older, yeah. as well as Latin Americans mostly eat well done steak for for whatever reason, probably refrigeration reasons, transportation reasons. But everyone seems to forget these. Factors. If I if I was ten years old and was sick for a week because I ate rare steak, I'm probably not eating rare 100%. steak for a long time. Yes. Speaking of which, my six year old <laughs> likes well done steak, right. and like it's it's every time I cut any piece of meat, she's like, "Daddy, there's blood in it." Yes. That's mid well. Like, and I know I'm cooking for her, so I know I like to get. Um, but yeah, people should eat what they like to eat, and you're right. If well, it's, burgers are all well done in a fast food restaurant. Right. Sure. Granted, they have enough fat now, but a, a prime steak. Has about I don't know fifteen to eighteen to twenty percent fat, just like a burger. So pretty good chance it's still going to be tasty. Now if you kill meat, but again, it's okay. As far as the ketchup goes, I yeah. can tell you one thing, and yes. I told this to Eater. <clears throat> we don't sell ketchup, so there's no way he ordered it. <laughs> right. It's a requested item. Right. <laughs> so he said, "Please bring it." But we serve fries, and we make our own fries in a sense. Of so course, my of guess course. is I have a steak sauce called B1 that's out, and that's yes. what we serve at Beef the restaurant. Burke. And one, or B1, be wonderful. Oh, B1 well, community. A1 was already taken, so I went with B1. Of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and also, like, I mean, I'm always a big fan of, like, the Malcolm Gladwell article talking about ketchup as, it, as the perfect flavor, amplitude of, you know, all ketchup, sauces. Ketchup is a sweet and sour yeah. digestive aid. And I'm kind of, uh, you know, I like it as well. Ketchup so, and soy sauce and butter together are pretty damn good. That's and Ketchup true. alone is pretty good. Yeah. It's just, it gets a bad rap. I was fine in, dining. It does for some reason, but I remember one time I was working at a three Michelin star restaurant as a young boy, which was, you know, 10 years ago. And 
uh, this French chef came up and he was making sauce for clams. I'll never forget. And he was like, he took ketchup and orange juice oh, and nice. a drip of soy and was like, there's ceviche. And I was like, wow. It was really good, and I was—it blew my mind. I was like, "No, see, it's not about—it's about making things delicious." Right. And like you said, if the but product I, itself is yes. good, if it's a good ketchup, then it's a good ketchup. Well, listen, if you tried certain other brands of ketchup versus the number one selling ketchup, all of a sudden it's like, you know, that's that's missing cloves, or that's missing something else. And yeah. there's things in ketchup that are medicinal right. that Ooh. numb you, We're like cloves numb yeah. you. Yeah, there, There's a lot of reasons for things that oh, we don't know. Oh, it's a yeah. high clove content. Yeah, I got a toothache. Give me some extra ketchup. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> All right, well, listen, speaking of products, uh, we like to play a couple of games uh, at the end of the podcast. Are you, are you game to uh, game play with us? i game. Okay, so since you've created some amazing products, uh, I am, this, is, this is called Real or Not. Right, so these are food products, food businesses, things that uh, exist and may not exist in the world. And David Burke, uh, master chef and true American hero to me and many <laughs> others. Uh, you're going to let me know if these are real or not. Okay. Okay, okay so here's one. This is called uh, Dispatch. This is a company called Dispatch. No, I don't even have to break it down. David Burke is saying that Dispatch is real. It is a robot food delivery service in San Francisco. Oh, you were going to give me more? No, you got it. Oh, I'm okay. going to give you more. No, you're going to go like 12 of these. Okay. But first of all, no one has ever answered a question without hearing the question so far. So like you win a t-shirt or something, we're going to have to figure that out. Okay. Like you, you didn't even have, I didn't have to break it down. Okay, here's one. This is a, uh, another delivery service. It's a drone delivery service that delivers donuts. It's called Dronuts. Delivers donuts. I think it's <laughs> not real. Oh, David Berg is two for two. Uh, that's my idea. It's, uh, I do like it. It's yeah, a catchy it's, name, but uh, uh, right now we've gone from propellers to lighter than air. Donuts you need quick. You need them quick. Uh, it's really just a funny word. Donuts. I'd but there's an idea that right there. away. Yeah, I get that. I, I should. Yeah. There's a. <laughs> uh, okay, here's one. Uh, this is uh, this is actually a. Uh, it's kind of a, a startup that has to do with urban farming. It's called Jiminy, and it's to get people to farm crickets. Protein of the future. It's called it's Jiminy. It's real. It is not real. Baby uh, I finally got them. Jiminy, uh, Jiminy my, Cricket. Yeah, my wife created uh, the Cricket Farm idea, and I named it Jiminy. I thought that that was that's a good farm. name. Very clever. <laughs> there you go. Uh, this one. That I, would be. A, I bet you that Jiminy's a good name. Yeah. What do you think about insects in? Uh, I like it. Yeah. I like so it. as a, as a protein replacement yeah. or a protein of the I future. I like it as textural. I like it as protein replacement. I think that they have to be flavored. Like I think you'll see uh, mainstream in the next twenty years some bagged crickets in, in America right. that are nacho flavored or whatever it is. Well, especially or, if you grind them up or and, grind, and or, or put into things. yeah, or put into puffs or whatever it is. But yeah, I have no, I need I need crickets right now. Got it. I'm ready for come. You're ready. I, awesome. I, I, come down to San Diego. Pass come visit me in San Diego. I, I love San Diego. And then we'll just put <clears> some crickets right on the bar yeah. there for you. We'll go to Mexico. We'll harvest yeah. somewhere. Oh, crickets hanging somewhere. from a clothesline. I can see it. Uh, actually, ooh, whoa. Yeah, I see I see a presentation yeah. happening. With a matter of fact, maybe crickets with a, and... With a live praying mantis underneath waiting. Or crickets. And this next product, uh, which I think you might know this one. So this is a flavor spray. Uh, of like bacon or Parmesan, a famous American chef started it up. It's real, man. It's real, yeah. It's yours. <laughs> I'm glad you got that one. But I'm, don't you see like the flavor spray spraying one of those crickets oh, yeah. and like that's the presentation right there? And we reviving them. Um, this one is called, uh, <laughs> bring it back. I always wanted to do that. I always wanted to because you know, I play around with liquid nitrogen a lot. I've always wanted to like freeze like a piece of sashimi. That as it melts, it comes back to life at the table. But I'm sure someone is going to send me an email. I used to put years ago. 
I had these little, you know the Korean crabs? Yeah, they like uh, eat you or... We're not allowed to buy them live. Right, exactly. But I'd put them underneath a mound of peppercorns with a hot oysters. Yes. Or sea urchin. And I'd put them under there. I used to do it for chefs. And as they're eating them, these things would (laughs) make their way to the top. Oh, my gosh. First of all, we have to do that again. Yeah. Just, we should just do a a show where we do like really great pranks. That's a, that's a, you know, it would be a great show. It's like a um, candy camera. Yeah, food. like a food, a candy camera. So someone's pitched that before. I don't, I don't know where it's at. Okay, here we go. This one's called Foodini. Foodini. It is a 3D printer uh, that kind of specifically makes mainly like raviolis and pasta. That's Foodini. a real thing. That is a real thing. David Burke is really good at this game. He's too smart for me. Uh, how about this one? This is a another sort of in the food tech space. It's called Eat Your Words. It's a downloadable edible news articles. And uh, each article is worth about a meal's worth of nutrition. You download the article, the printer spits it out in an edible fashion, and you end up eating the article and uh, getting nutrition out of it. I, you know, it, it could. I'm gonna say it's real. It's not real. I just made it up in the car on the way over here. Yeah, um, but the edible paper, like, it's possible. Like it's we could possible. do it tomorrow. It's a good idea. Should I not be revealing these ideas? Like you're smarter no, than I me. Think, I, I like that idea. I mean, talk about you know, you read the paper and eat lunch at the same time. Yeah, you dip it in your coffee. That's enough, boom. Exactly. Boom. We could Done. Flare, eat flare, the exactly. caramel and dip it in the coffee. Honey, what do you have for breakfast? <laughs> I eat my homework. Right. Also, if like you're in, if you're like a spy or something, it's really yes. good. So you can just yes. eat your uh, your mission, and then that you're off, right? Okay. This one is another. Uh, this is a social media app. This one is called Feedback. Feedback in real time. This is an app where the guest in your restaurant can send a note to the kitchen in real time about the food that they're eating, and they can say, uh, "Chef, the uh, the pasta is a little salty." And then the kitchen, though, can get that message in real time and reply to the diner and be like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Feedback. If app. you think that's all, then wait do you see it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> uh, it's, t- it's basically taking the passive aggressiveness <laughs> exactly. away from Yelp. Uh, what do you think about feedback, real or not? I think it's real. It is not real. It's another place of creation. But, but, but that would be good, though, right? Certainly, I would hate it. Yeah, all right. But it, it wouldn't, wouldn't be, be an expedite. I'd be yeah. like, the fuck? But it would be one of those things, like, it, it does kind of reveal the moment we just said, like, any time food really but, goes but, back but in the kitchen, the server's like, they said it's salty. But the it, chef comes over. But it's happening now. No, it's not. People are yelping, <laughs> yelping in real time now. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. Do you use social like to um, like because I t- to me it solves problems like if someone's gonna my son owns a social company in New York okay called FOH maybe those uh, Instagram social that's right he that's does right. some of mine but uh, we use it I mean I, I, for someone that's been around a long time I embrace it right I have colleagues and friends of mine that are not so so fond of it I like it I like to right, take yeah. pictures I have to focus a little more my son's like that you can't just take pictures and you gotta crop it and I'm like you know what the data's good though you need it yeah. um, this one this one is uh, called H2Go it's caffeinated water caffeinated water that's H- a real thing yes well I, I don't know if H2Go is real but caffeinated water is real but I thought that would be a cool name for a caffeinated water company H2Go I'm on fire to, today. you need to think we need to we need to we need to that's what I need, I, need some ideation sessions we need one of those two way mirrors yeah. and we need to go okay here's the next one this one is uh, this one's kind of adorable uh, it's a condiment line for pets and they do stuff like this it's called Petchup not ketchup but Petchup uh, they also have Mustard, 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 like no mutts. <laughs> it's real, David. <laughs> yes, it is real. Petchup. It does sound like something that we Canadian were Canadian pets. All pets have different dietary restrictions, right? Well, but I, guess I mean, we're gonna have to out. find out what's in petchup. I like feeding pets, man. I, I, you know, yeah. We used to have the uh, 
the parking lot outside. Oh, wow, okay. Where they, in front of Bloomies, where you, you like a horse, uh, you know, like the old Westerns, you tie up your horse or your dog. We had a coat check guy out there, give you a number, you go in and drink. Honey, I'm gonna, I'll, be, I'll take the dog out. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's one. This one's called Perrier. Perrier. It is oxygenated, well, it's air. It's bottled air. Perrier. You're right. It is not a real thing. It's no. actually from the movie Spaceballs. Okay. Uh, I, I, I missed that movie. But yeah, that's all. It's, you know, um, you know, you were busy at the time Spaceballs yeah. was out. You were probably running like you know thirty yeah. restaurants. And, and I, I missed a lot of movies. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, this one, Soylent Green. It's a it's a nutritional drink. Soylent Green. It is just one hundred percent nutrition. In a I think based form. on the name, it's fake. Cause yeah, well, this one's tough. Okay, so you're right. Soylent Green is fake. That's from Twilight Zone. Right where they were grinding up human bodies yes. into a shape. But Soylent is a real drink right now. Right. That is like a you know, one day's worth of nutrition in mm-hmm. a shake when Silicon Valley sort of a uh, big, big startup. How about this one? Uh, just Dough It. It is an instant powder, instant made pie dough. Just real. Dough It. Um, this one I made up, but I feel like it could be real. It's got to be. It should be real, right? It's I feel like we have to look at that one. I feel like that you one. You got Pancake uh, Dough It. Yeah, I feel like you're right. They got all, uh, all the different ones. All right, last one. David Berg, you're batting like 800 which is really, 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 really good. Uh, last one right here. Uh, this one is called Crispy. It's a crunch enhancer. It's a non-nutritive uh, cereal varnish that coats and seals flakes of cereal, prevents milk from penetrating it so that the cereal can be super crispy. <laughs> like, I love how serious though everyone gets, right? Everyone is like really into the game and we're playing it's a little real. Program. It is not real. It is from uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Okay. I think the Chevy Chase character invented. You still. I gotta it. watch more TV at it. It's, that's what you know. The pop culture uh, threw you off. I like the bit. idea though, but it, there's something nice about Saga. The last, you, know, you gotta right. eat it in a hurry. Yeah, I guess Although I would. Would you dip it and then put it in the cereal? I don't know how that would work, oh, but how crispy can you eat? You can't. You get. You eat less if it stays crispy. That's true. And the manufacturers would be opposed to that. Oh wow! Good. Look at that. Taking right. it right to the level. Uh, Chef David Burke, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We like to do. One thing at the end of the show. It's 86. And we ask people to 86 something. It could be anything in the food world, your personal world, the world in general. Something that you're just you know done with and over. You with. mentioned my 86? Yes. Is the hat thing. The hat thing? Oh, tell me about the hat, the hat thing. thing. I, you know, I, I saw something today, a blog, some celebrity chef teaching kids at a, at a school, the fundamentals. And not one kid had a hat on. Okay, right. And, I, and it just bothers me sometimes to see. And I, it bothers me when I walk into my restaurants and the sous chefs, once they become sous chefs, they don't think they need a hat. Right. I mean, it's the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a prude. It's not like sure. I'm a military guy either. I, you know, I just think a hat is a nice thing to wear in the kitchen when, especially if you have longer hair. Yeah. Which I often have. And I, if, I'm, if, if I'm working a post in the kitchen, I wear a hat. I just I like it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's traditional. I think it's. I think you, you said it might be coming back. I wish it would. When I see a picture of a kitchen brigade and white hats, as opposed to baseball hats, sure. A, I think it's, it shows a sense of um, of uh, seriousness mm-hmm. and commitment. I I definitely agree. So I'm assuming then you're a, a chef whites only as well. I wear whites. Yes. Yeah. For all your restaurants. Yeah, I always wear a white coat. I like a white coat. Your teams. I, I, you know, here's my thing. And I, I bring it up. I tell my chefs this stuff. I don't tell. I'm not that strict. But if my mother, who's a little elderly, is going in to get operated on, I have a choice of two doctors. Right. And one has a white coat on and is clean shaven. 
and one has got a black coat on with a bone in his nose with two and full, a tattoo on two his two <laughs> tattoos tweezers you know hanging out of his yeah. pockets I'm going to be very cordial to both I'm going to take her out and I'm going to make my decision but my decision is going to be the white coat I like that the for- you know? formality and sort of like uh, you know dressed to impress and it, it well, I, I just think that there's a reason why it was white nobody came up with a better reason to change it and until there's a better reason to change it except for not washing your coat right and not being able to see the stains, which is not a better reason, then I'll, I'm not going to change. I like it. I like it. Uh, David Burke, 86-ing, uh, not wearing hats. We should, we should get back to it. Maybe. I think so. Show, show a little respect in the kitchen. Wear some whites. I'm basically talking to my well, white, white. Right well, whites. Well, and I also see, listen, there's economics involved. Guys that wear T-shirts that they wear on a sub. New York City, you wear a T-shirt to work and you're working it. Yeah. You're in, you're in a dirty city. Right. You know, air and it's all sure, that stuff. Sure. I mean, it's nitpicky to a certain degree, but... Got to be certain standards. Exactly. Now, listen. When we were when we walked in and you greeted us, you're like, "I got a bunch of things for '86." Oh, yeah. Did you? Were you just? Were you just ready? I mean, if you want to unload another one for us, we're we're here. But if it's if it's hats, I, just, I think we covered a couple of them. With the, I think you. I think with we did. the uh, some of it is the idea that you're going to come out out and be a major chef. Here's what I'd like to say, and I was thinking about this the other day. The fact that chefs don't have a license to practice before mm. calling themselves a chef. Think about it. Yeah. Every prof- almost every profession, unless it's in the arts. If you're, li- if you're a plumber, if you're a truck driver, if you're a pilot, you have a license. If you're a chef, you don't have a license. So anyone can say I'm a chef. Right. Now, they're, they're, you, know, you can get accredited. You can be a celebrity chef. You can, be, you can win a cupcake war. You can nice. be a hot dog vendor, whatever. But even as a vendor, you have to have a license. But to be a chef in a certain restaurant, there's, there's no... Ac- Credibility for it. There's nothing that says he passed the test. There's an A in your letter that you passed the Board of Health test, but you know there is no real something that says I'm a licensed chef. I'm a licensed hairstylist. I'm a licensed dentist. I'm a licensed, but you're not a licensed chef. I don't know how you do that either. I'm just saying. You know what I mean? You go you go to any other business that you pay top dollar at. Someone's got a diploma hanging up yeah. in their office as you wait that says. I'm yeah. Plus, I mean, if you, I, I, I said this in a talk I did the other day. Plus, our job is we we make things that you put in your body. Right. 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 <laughs> like it makes a lot of sense. Right. David Burke, absolutely amazing to hang out with and you. Nice You're to one see of you. my personal idols. You meant Thank so much you. to me in my career. Would you do this again? Absolutely. And uh, I, I don't know if you could do any better in the game because I think you. Uh, no, no, anyone no, else no. has. I, I started off strong. Uh, you were, I, I, I should not have looked at you. That's what it is. My poker. <laughs> I changed my cadence. Uh, also, it looks like we have uh, we have a big team here. We have some oh, yeah, delicious David Burke creations to eat. I'm Richard Blaze. I was hanging out with David Burke. This is Starving for Attention. Remember, everyone, uh, we need subscriptions and downloads and uh, reviews and all of those things. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts. It's free. Just take a second and subscribe. Uh, if you don't have an Apple phone, you can find us on the Podcast One app. Uh, we've had a lot of fun here. I'm going to go eat some uh, bacon with David Burke, and I'll see you soon. Stay on. Thanks for listening to Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze. Download new episodes every Tuesday on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, or PodcastOne.com. There's something about TrueCar that a lot of people don't know. TrueCar can help you buy a used car, not just a new car. In fact, there are over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. Whether you're looking to buy new or used, you can get upfront pricing information that empowers discounts, off the list price for used cars and a better buying experience through our True Car Certified Dealer Network. There are over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from True Car Certified Dealers nationwide. 
That's a lot, Jasmine. It is. Uh, you'll see what other people paid for the car that you want, so you can know what a fair price is and feel confident. With TrueCar, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing, so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the new or used car that you want. Yeah, they do used cars. Um, I mean, listen, TrueCar, they show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, Jasmine. I know that you're doing that right now. You yeah. should really use TrueCar. True I should, actually, yeah. You need to jump on there because now you know what a fair price is so uh, we can feel better about our future purchase. Once you register, you'll see a real price on actual inventory. It's competitive pricing offered only to you by a TrueCar certified dealer for an actual vehicle on their lot, which is a trick a lot of people play, right? You see the car and then that's not there when you show that's up at the lot. It seems like you're really good at buying uh, cars. Yeah, I go in with the, the steely look. That's how it starts. You do. Well, I mean, <laughs> and, if, and imagine if you hooked up with True Car. Right. You'd be invincible. Superpower. Yeah. You'd be the Magneto of car buying, uh, which Magneto actually probably could just take whatever he wants. Right. He's, He's magnetic. Kind of, He's magnetic. Just, I'm sorry, guys. I'm in a big X-Men face. Uh, True Car shows their customers all of their available incentives before they arrive at the dealership. Over 3 million cars have been sold to True Car users by 13,000 TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And some of these features are not available in all states. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. Now, if you're hearing my voice, it means you like podcasting. And if you like podcasting, well, then you're going to love my show. Lots of funny segments, good bits, great guests, and of course, moi. That's Mexican for me. So, Check it out at Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you, you listen to find podcasts. The Adam Corolla Show. Throw it on your phone. It's free.